Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's a new week of Cinematics. This is episode number 226. We are fresh off a five-hour excursion with Jason Kleberg from the Force 5 Film Podcast from Saturday. I don't know when that episode comes out. I'm joined with Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. Bruce Perky, are you still tired from our 12-hour excursion with Jason Kleberg on Force 5 Podcast? Can you tell our listeners what, what me, you, and Eric were doing all Saturday with Jason Kleberg? Well, I was missing my, my football games. <laughs> did you miss your football? I guess you did miss one of them, didn't you? I missed uh, the Houston Texans lose, so I'm glad that I missed eh, it. You know. Uh, yeah, we were uh, talking over uh, some end-of-the-year stuff for 2023, but just kind of leave it at that. There's so much goodness to be had, and I guarantee when that comes out, there'll be at least, at least for anybody listening, 10 or 12 movies they haven't seen. Uh, as opposed to the Oscars, which were released yesterday, the nominations. And uh, you've, you've heard about all those movies. Yeah, so glad that Barbie wasn't nominated for Best Actress and Director. Very Was I supposed to say that, guys? What? Hello? I'm kidding. Silence. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sure they I did deserve. see that uh, El Conde <laughs> got nominated for Best Cinematography. So, Oh, you're excited about El Conde. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Eric, did you have fun with Jason Kleberg in the Force 5 podcast? I did. I did. Okay. Yeah. The the The... Build up to it was uh, kind of mind blowing because there, there's like a bunch, like a ton of great movies that you want to put on your top ten, and you can't because there's only ten of them. But you can put them on other things and talk about them there. Can you tell the listeners what interesting way you shaped your you shaped your top ten list on Jason's show? Because we we basically talked about our top ten list for this upcoming Jason Kleberg Force Five episode. How did you shape your top ten as the interview as the actual podcast progressed I, I avoided swapping. i avoided movies that i was pretty sure that you or bruce would put on there and uh there was one that i i think it was on bruce's list uh it was one of your two lists and i had it on like number two or something oh uh it was my number two and uh bruce said it earlier so i'm like cool i can just take that off my list and put another one on i thought i'd have more but i did not there were too many great movies that came out last year yeah, there were a lot of great movies that came out last year. The Oscar nominations, like Bruce said, were just announced earlier this week. That said, there are so many things. I I joked about the whole Barbie thing, whether or not. Tell us if you think Greta Gerwig and Mar- Margot Robbie deserved Oscar nominations for actress and director. Bruce, you saw the movie. Did they deserve those award nominations? Were they overlooked, in your opinion? Well, yeah, especially if you're going to vote it as one of the Best Picture nominees. I mean... Uh, I guess you could argue Margot Robbie, but I think Greta Gerwig would have to get a nod. And just the fact that now it just gives everyone fodder that basically (laughs) the uh, thesis of the movie essentially is proven true by the way the nominations went. You know, the only nomination for acting or uh, for any of the major principal members of that cast went to, you know... A male. So that was really good. Good job, Academy. You you, you weren't tone deaf again. <laughs> you did it right. <laughs> that, make, that makes the message in a very weird way even more powerful. Let's hope that message is taken to heart by at least the Academy and some people. I'm thinking Greta Lee for Past Lives. Maybe she deserved the Best Actress nomination. At least, bottom line, she was in the discussion. 
I'm happy about that. I hope that if uh, if he if Gosling wins as best supporting actor, I hope he goes up there in the guise of Ken and gives a very ironic and satirical response <laughs> and thank you uh, speech talking about how, you know, they, they awarded the right people and all that stuff. I, I, it would be amazing if he did that and I could see them writing ahead of time to to get him set up for that. Yeah, speaking of ahead of time, next week we are doing our Patreon for our wonderful members over in the Patreon community. We are spotlighting the year 2008. The choices week for our two movies, number one goes to Bruce Perky. Bruce, can you just reiterate what's your choice for next week on 2008? Uh, yes, Son of Rambo, which I still haven't watched yet, so I will be watching it this next week. Okay, folks over at Patreon, check out Son of Rambo, R-A-M-B-O-W, I believe it is available on streaming. And then have you seen Son of Rambo, Eric Holmes? Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, okay. okay. You're going to see it again or you've rewatched it or you... yeah, a, a lot of it's a lot of it didn't stick. A lot of it didn't stick the little yeah. bit. Oh, okay. Well, stick it again. Was it as good as your Alf movie from several months ago or no. your Alf movie? Oh, no, not no. as good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Project <laughs> Alf is too good. Okay. Eric looks very not excited about Son of Rambo. We'll see. No, I... it, it, it was a good movie. Just didn't, you know, time yeah. goes by. And time goes by. Things leave the brain sometimes. Leaves, oh, who knows? Maybe he'll. Return to Son of Rambo. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. So I have no idea. You're going to listen to my, you're going to, hopefully you're going to see, you know, listen on Patreon what Eric thinks about it. But most importantly, Bruce, we'll see if your pick was as good as the out pick or as previous picks over on our Patreon. Again, we cover the years, I believe. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong. 1980 to 2020, right? That, those are the years. We're that covering sounds 40 right. Years. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah we're, we're covering 40 years. And again, this month is 2008. We have to pick the second one. Thank you to Ryan Smith for choosing three Patreon picks for our second pick. Okay, so for our second movie, we have a choice of City of Men, Bangkok Dangerous, and Death Race. I'm going to randomize it right now. Number two, number two film for 2008. Again, number one is Son of Rambo. Number two is the Nicolas Cage classic, Bangkok Dangerous. Yes, I Bang Kong. <laughs> Bang Kong. Well, yeah, Bangkok. That's that King Kong porn they made back Bang then Kong in 2008. Game. How can I'm half? Yeah, oh, very good. I need a drum pill. I'm Thai. I should have said Bangkok dangerous. I was born, I wasn't born in Bangkok. I lived in Bangkok. You guys didn't know this several, for several years. But when I was five and six, I lived in Bangkok, Thailand. But Bangkok dangerous, I think the directors are the Pang brothers. I'm guessing right now. I'm not, no, I don't even have IMDb right now. I could be wrong. But Bangkok Dangerous, Son of Rambo for Patreon. Again, $5 catch-all. Thank you, Cinematics listeners, for being part of our Patreon community. I'll have the link where you can join on our show notes. Our features, let's get to them. We have Eric in the last minute. I think in the midnight hour, he added two. So we had four. Now we have six. I might take mine out of the way. I think Bruce and Eric did not know that I actually did see this movie called Bad Hombres. Bad Hombres with Tyrese Gibson. So I might say a couple things about bad hombres but speaking of what is the number one movie that we have to cover this week by the way our movies are american star the sweet east the seeding bad hombres miller's girl the peasants and not bangkok dangerous it's not that's not one of the movies we're covering let's start off with american star which all of us have seen and ian mcshane okay this movie comes out january 26 and it's everywhere you rent movies here's the thing about american star Ian McShane, as you know from the John Wick movies, or some of you Western fans also know him as the 
beloved and iconic Swearingen from the the series Deadwood and the movie Deadwood. He plays this hitman who comes into this coastal town and I don't know where it's located. It's a coastal town and he's about to kill someone in this desert home, really beautiful desert home out in the middle of nowhere. And he gets orders. The orders are bad because that person is not in the domicile whatsoever. Instead, he sees a beautiful young woman swimming in that person's pool. It's a very, again, it's a very luxurious home out in the middle of nowhere. He decides to leave the area and he has new orders to actually, well, that mark isn't going to show up for another couple of days. So what this hitman has to do is he has to hole up himself in this area and live in that town, sort of a resort town, actually, and just acclimate to the environment. Part of that environment is a ship that is out in the ocean called the American Star, hence the title. And he's very actually obsessed with this wrecked cargo out in the middle of the middle of the ocean. I'm sure it might be symbolic. It's a straight symbolic thing about, I guess, the ship is sort of like symbolic of the actual hitman because he's elderly. He's probably in his late 70s, early 80s. That's the age of Ian McShane. And what happens is he ends up befriending that woman, the aforementioned woman at the pool. That woman is played by Nora Arnazetter, and she's a very good actress, and they have some really good chemistry. And it shows their friendship throughout the movie. The problem is there are people who are telling him, hey, don't make friends with the locals. Do your job. The movie also stars Fanny Ardant, or Ardent, I don't know how to pronounce the name. She plays that, that young woman's mother. There's a kid who has for some reason is always staying outdoors out, outside the hotel uh, lo- hotel uh, floor room. that he's yeah hotel room thank you eric that it's sort of an, a next door neighbor to the hitman and there's also a another mysterious figure from the hitman's company a younger version of him basically who is going telling his mentor to move on and do the job that is a premise of American Star that is directed by Gonzalo Lopez Gallego and it's the writer is Nacho Fierna. So let's start off with Bruce Perky, American Star, slow burn of a movie, some really interesting landscapes of the area. It's beautifully shot in my opinion. Did this movie grab you or did it leave you sort of cold? Um, it didn't grab me too much. Uh, first of all, I did look it up. It's Fuerta Ventura, which is uh, one of the Canary Islands is where this takes place, where the actual wreck, I believe the actual wreck of the American star is. So I think that is a true ship that what we see is maybe not the, the true ship, but there is a true ship wreck there somewhere. So that's yeah. So this this kind of hit me um, well filmed, well acted, beautiful landscapes. This is kind of like the Bergman Island of Hitman movies. <laughs> but where where Bergman Island kind of I kind of went with the flow and I kind of liked the story and where it was going. This didn't really feel like it was going much of anywhere. And uh, uh, I get the idea. It's supposed to be kind of this. Let's spend two days in the off time of the hitman as he just has to kind of twiddle his thumbs and drive around this island waiting to actually do the hit he's supposed to do. The problem was. I think what we're supposed to learn in that time is how he's changing or what his motivations are for either doing the hit or not doing the hit or whatever he's going to end up doing at the end of this movie. And I really didn't know what his motivations were. Honestly, I didn't know what her motivations were for like all of a sudden you said he befriended her. She really befriended him. Like he, he just, he walks into a bar 
and she just happens to be there and she's just like, oh, hey, who are you? You know, hi. She's just constantly coming up and talking to him. Like, why is she coming and talking to this old? And they kind of make a reason later on that, well, he reminds her of her dad or whatever. But I, I don't know, man. You got this guy on this tropical island dressed all in black looking <laughs> much like a hitman. Uh, I just didn't quite buy that. Um, even though their chemistry when they were together was good, I didn't buy the fact that they would have ever got together the way they did at all. For me, it was just kind of like, once again, Eric complains a lot of times in movies where they will start the movie and then it'll take 30 minutes or 40 minutes to get to what the story is. And this movie takes like 85 minutes to get to where the story is, in my opinion. So I, I, I really wasn't digging it that much. Well, that's too bad. I love the slow burn and methodical nature of it all. I have a feeling that Eric Holmes is going to agree with Bruce Perky. Do you agree, Eric? Yeah, movies like this are usually kind of uh, my bane, I guess. Uh, just like, oh, come on, let's go, let's go. What What's going on? But with this, for some reason, I was on board, and I can't quite explain it. Maybe I just, uh, maybe I caught it on a on a rare bit. I was happy to follow around Ian McShane's character, and uh, it kind of, I, I think everything Bruce said is correct. I just, you know, not much going on, but, and I don't know why. I was just kind of, I was just mm-hmm. kind of there along for the ride. Because <sighs> you mentioned uh, Bergman's Island. This is very, very, very similar to that. I, I think you nailed it with that. Um, and I hated Bergman's Island. So why do I like this? I, I couldn't tell you. I could. I, it was just well, one of those things. This? It's I, set in a coastal city, like Bruce was saying, yeah. Canary Island. The sound of the waves, the, the ocean, very relaxed vibe. Maybe you got tuned into that pace and the visuals and you like the character and maybe I, I think it was just timing you know sometimes you watch a movie where it's like if you're not in the mood for that you're not going to like it but if you are in the mood for that you'll just you'll just buy in and you know uh do this isn't a jalo at all but uh jalos are kind of like that like if you're not into that kind of movie when you're watching it you just cross your arms and go screw this but if you are in the mood for it it'll be like catnip for you. Just like, oh, take it all in. But for some reason, I've just bought in early and I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, American Star, I really love this movie. Even though Ian McShane and the director, they canceled on me last minute on the interviews. How (laughs) dare they? How dare you guys cancel on me, man? No, I I really enjoyed this movie. I love the pace of it. I see where Bruce is going with his review. That said, I think a lot of people will probably go towards Bruce's camp because if you're waiting for something to happen, you know, we mentioned Hitman. If you expect a lot of action, you're not going to get it. If you want the move, the story to get to the point, which a lot of times that Eric likes, likes in his movies, you're definitely not going to get that. But if you ride a certain wave with American Star, which I believe Eric and I did, I think you'll end up appreciating this movie. Okay, so my review, my rating for American Star, which is in theaters January 26th, and it's everywhere you rent movies. Cinematic community, tell us what you think of this movie. It's not in your theaters. You can actually rent it. So that, that's a good that's good news. My rating, four stars. Bruce Berkey. Um, I would like to let's see. Um I can't quite recommend it. So I think I'll go two and a half. I also want to call out an, a technical thing really quick. So you know how in movies for a while the the drone shots were like super impressive, and then now they've become kind of just a, a cheap thing that anyone can do. 
Yeah. And then for a while, it was all cool to always have your camera flip over at some point in the movie, like have the up go from the right side up to the upside down shot. Yeah. Well, there's a shot in here that I'm seeing way too much as well, and I want to cancel it. Uh, I'm going to cancel you shot. Uh, <laughs> this is the shot where you have the camera bolted to the car door and the car door is open and the person gets in the car and they close the car door and it follows the door. So you see them now sitting in the car. I, I, it's one of those things that once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. And I'm annoyed by it. And they need to stop doing it. <laughs> Two and a half stars. Two and a half stars. Yes, Eric. I, I thought you were going to talk about the shot where they just kind of hang on them. And then all of a sudden the camera light turns around so you can see behind them. That, yeah. There was like about 10 of those. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little bit too. But that door shot is so, calls so much attention to itself. I want to say no, stop. Um, right, Eric, Eric, yeah, what you got? Yeah, I'll give this one a three-star banger. Um, this is this is definitely one of those movies, like put it on and give it like 10, 15 minutes. If you're not into it, bail. Um, but if you're if you're digging the vibe, then stick with it. Okay, so that is our review for America's Star. Again, it's starring Ian McShane and Nora Arnazetter, I believe that's her name. So, very interesting movie. Four stars for me, three for Eric, three-star banger, and two and a half for Bruce Berkey. Next up is The Sweet East. It's in LA, January 26th, specifically playing at Landmarks Noir Theater. It's been playing in select theaters over the last, last several weeks, and it's an indie film directed by Sean Rice-Williams, and the stars include Talia Ryder, Earl Cave, also Jacob Elordi is in this, and some really interesting. I believe the girl. I could be wrong. The girl from um, who lose what is it? The Bear is in this one as well. So, Io Edaberry, and Bottoms. She was in Bottoms. Edaberry, yeah, and and from Bottoms too. Bruce, what's this movie about? Is it worth watching? This indie. Well, this is one of those. Uh, <laughs> I had to look up the word because I've been hearing it lately, and I, and I think it applies to this. Is that a picaresque? which is uh, one of those stories where the story, the plot isn't really the story. The, the story is that you follow a person from like experience to experience to experience, and it's following them on their journey is kind of the story. Um, and that's what this movie kind of is. It starts out with our main character. Um, is it Lillian? Yeah. Lillian is just like on some, like a high school trip. I think she is like a, she's on a high school trip in DC and she just kind of veers away from the group. And then she, ends up in like a white supremacist rally and then ends up being hanging out with the white supremacist dude for a whole long time and then goes away from that for a while and ends up with an acting troupe. And I'm not going to say all the places she goes, but this, this is a movie that kind of rambles through all of these um, different scenes where she kind of just is the blank slate and whatever group she falls into, she kind of somewhat adopts the world that these people are in. And then when she goes to the next one, she does that again. Uh, and I guess the point of it is kind of that each of these little groups or subsets or worlds that she falls into are all like some version of, I don't know, political socio commentary on our current times, which is weird because when I first started watching it, I thought this movie might be a period piece. I thought it might be in the nineties or something. Cause it's kind of shot in this very, almost camcorder-ish cinema verite style. Although the cinematography is better than that, for sure. It has kind of that um, kids, almost like kids, I guess would be a great comparison. It's like the style of shooting, this kind of very um, documentary-ish look to it. Uh, overall, though, I was kind of like, um, I was left kind of adrift as the person is in this movie. I, I kind of didn't know 
what I was supposed to gain from it. And it, it was a little bit too, I don't know, the tone was just a little off to me. It just didn't quite catch me. Uh, it was interesting to think about in moments, but it didn't connect to me all the way through. I don't know what your experience was, Craig, but that was mine. <laughs> so. I didn't see it. What was your experience, oh. Eric? What do you think? Eric saw it, sorry. No worries. Uh, well, uh, first of all, the director uh, is also the cinematographer and also was a cinematographer for Zeros and Ones, The Birthday Cake, and I believe the uh, uh, Tesla movie with uh, Ethan Hawke. Mm, <laughs> wow, to so, so <laughs> Zeros and there Zeros there. <laughs> um, I, I like this one a lot better than all three of those movies. Uh, I got I got more of a, like the each person she was kind of with for a while. Um, it was like a microcosm of different relationships, um, you know, where, uh, you know, a, a, you know, if you enter a, a relationship with a certain type of person, they're going to basically take possession of you. And I, I couldn't quite like work out how that metaphor works within this movie, but I was getting kind of that sort of vibe to it. Um, and it was kind of cringy to watch, not because the movie is bad, but because those kind of relationships are like. You know, they, they just kind of, they're not, they're not fun to watch. And uh, I don't think they should be. Um, yeah. This is like one of those, like, I'm still kind of putting the puzzle pieces together, but I got a little bit of that. Um, oh, what's a, I don't know who, I think it was the last guy. He looked really familiar, but then they said it was Gibby Haynes was in this. Was that the guy oh, from Gibby Haynes? Butthole yeah. Surfers. It is. Yeah. Was that him towards the end or was he in the in very that? end? There's that really short sequence where she's kind of like in the, their castle or something. I don't yeah. know what it is, but yeah, it was very short, but that was Gibby Haynes from uh, butthole surfers. I yeah, don't they, know why he was in there. I, I think it was that the castle part that kind of cemented it for me. Cause like just being in the castle, you think of like Rapunzel, you know, just being locked away in a, it actually should have been an earlier part that, you know, got that part, but it was some, some about the castle, like made me think of Rapunzel and, Oh, Rapunzel's this woman that's like, uh, you know, held basically against her will, but kind of not, but sort of definitely against her will, uh, just from a, you know, boyfriend or a husband that's way too possessive. But yeah, this was not easy to watch, but I think I liked where it was going. All right. Okay. The Sweet East again in theaters, LA's New Art Theater, January 26th. It's an indie film. Very sounds in, very, kind of very interesting. Eric, what's your rating on the Sweet East? I'll probably go four on this, but this might be a scary of sixty first kind of situation. Mm. <laughs> I say, dude, check out the Sweet East, and then someone might check it out and go, Eric, what the hell are you telling me, dude? Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see what Bruce says. Listen to Bruce. Whatever Bruce says <laughs> is the correct answer. Uh, for me, it was a bunch of great ingredients, but it didn't make a very good meal. So it was kind of like uh, I'd probably say two and a half on this one too. I couldn't recommend this one two and a half for bruce for the sweet east finally again eric with four stars let's get to the seeding not the seating the seeding like there's seeds in the ground maybe there's seeds in people maybe there's who knows where what the seeding means it's written and directed by barnaby clay it stars scott hayes and caitlin sheel or shell i forget S-H-E-I-L, maybe Sheil. I don't know how to pronounce it. My bad. The reason why I'm mentioning these actors, there's a, a bunch of sort of Lord of the Rings type of kids who hang out, but essentially this is a two-hander set in the bottom of a canyon. 
all right, set at the bottom of the canyon, centers on this guy who is in the desert. I, I think he's taking photos. And what happens is he ends up at the bottom of a canyon. And the only one there is this woman with this ramshackle, whatever, house, not house, just, it's just a crummy area. A shack, like a shack. shack. A shack, <laughs> thank you, Bruce. And he's not in good, in good condition, and she's nursing him back to health. There's a lot of things that's going on, and you're wondering, he's wondering, how the heck, why am I here? I need to get out of this canyon. There needs, there is sort of a, what, a... A ladder that is that comes out from the top of the canyon that appears once in a while, but it's controlled by these kids, these youths. And so he's basically stranded. The woman is basically stranded as well, but she's fine with it. She's living. She's trying to live her best life, trying to have a... He helps her with the garden and life there. And life to her is day to day. You don't know what her specific relationship is with those kids, those rambunctious Lord of the Flies kids, youths. They might be evil, who knows, or they might be good, and some of them might be good. You don't know until the end of the movie, of course. But that is the premise of the seating, and you're honestly wondering throughout the movie, how will this guy escape? Does he want to escape? Is he attracted to this woman who's taking care of him? Is this woman really nice, or does she have plans for this man? That's the premise of the seating. Bruce, right now, strike two on the, the, the previous movies. Is the seating strike three and movies are out for you? Uh, yes, yeah, strike three. Uh, this, well, first of all, we have to kind of describe it. It's like, so it's like a, almost like a crater. Like if, if you had a crater in the middle of the desert with cliffs, that the whole sides of it are cl a cliff. And he gets lost in the, first of all, we should talk about the opening shot of this movie. It's like a toddler walking through the desert eating a finger. So pretty much out of the gate, I'm thinking like the kids aren't probably good in this movie. I'm thinking just a guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> dude, <laughs> dude is out uh, like filming a eclipse uh, and always not a good sign. He's out there filming an eclipse. He gets done. Some kid, dirty kid in the for you know, in the middle of the desert leads him astray. He finally gets lost and, and he, and he sees this crater and he thinks like, well, this is a great idea. I'm going to go climb down. First of all, the, there's a, the, there's a ladder that's built into the, like solidly built into the cliff that goes halfway down. When I say halfway down, the other half might be like another 30 feet. Like you can't just jump that distance. But when he climbs down, there's like a rope ladder that goes down the rest of the way. I mean, doesn't look like a good idea to go down there, but he sure does it. And then of course that rope ladder gets pulled up. Um, whoever made this movie, <laughs> it's not terrible. It's really well filmed. It's well acted. Um, but boy, oh boy, do they love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and boy, oh boy, do they love the Hills Have Eyes. I mean, it is all over this movie and, uh, you know, the shack has got to have like all the handmade weird contraptions and like, you know, it's got a mobile made of spoons and, you know, like various little I don't know, cages and, and like uh, wind weather vanes made out of trash and stuff, but it doesn't look the same as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it felt creepy and like authentic. This seems like, oh, I saw those movies. I'm going to make my version of it. There's and, also an, yeah. an, like an, sorry, Bruce, there's also an inevitable nature about it, which I don't know yeah. if it detracts from the mix that would narrative weaker or is that just me? 
For me, it did make it weaker because this is one of those movies where I think you're supposed to be thinking like, where is this leading? What's it going to lead to? And it was kind of obvious to me what it was going to lead to. Like really, really obvious what it's going to lead to. I like, I knew like they're both trapped down there, but I kind of knew what each angle was playing towards. And I wasn't surprised by what it was playing towards. And when I got to what it was playing towards, it wasn't like, oh my God, that's shocking. This is the kind of movie that should end like, I don't know, Wicker Man or something, right? Where the ending you're like, whoa that's what this is all about oh my gosh it's a gut you know gut punch kind of a thing and it kind of blows you away the end of this was like you know that's about what i figured was going on <laughs> you know and that's about all that happened so yeah i like this a little bit more than you i i did like the atmosphere and maybe because i'm not as ed educated as you on horror in the thriller genre i really enjoyed even though there was an inevitable thing with the seating i knew where it was going yeah i still had a really good time watching it that said, I, I know there are people who will not probably enjoy even the slow nature of it, the slow build of it, but I like the location. I like how it was shot, like you said, and I really enjoyed the performances by the leads. So overall, this movie is a solid three and a half for me, but it's with a caveat that you're going to need a lot of patience, and this is sort of a world-building experience for you as far as, you know, it's one of those things where you, if you like the world and even though you're guessing what's going on and still appreciate it, you're going to enjoy the seating. If not, then you might get Bruce's. You might agree with Bruce's rating, which is, Bruce, what is that? Um, well, it would have been probably two, but the score is really good in this movie for an indie movie. I like the score a lot, so I'll give it two and a half. But I would say, yeah, go watch either version of The Hills Have Eyes or the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Do that instead. Okay, again, that is the seating in cinemas and VOD starting January 26th. My turn. I never get to do this. This is a movie called Bad Hombres. It's in theaters and on demand January 26th. It centers on two undocumented immigrants looking for work. And it's trying to make an honest living. So they get a job, $300 split down the middle between both of them, 150 each. And they have to dig a hole in the ground, the middle of this deserted, Desert area. It's just deserted area. Catches. When you're usually building a hole in the ground, there's a reason why. Well, their employers are actually criminals. And that's not a good thing for these undocumented immigrants. These immigrants are played by Diego Tinoco and Hemke Madera. And you might know Diego Tinoco from On My Block and Hemke Madera from Queen of the South. They are both fantastic in this movie. They're both very, very, very good. And the bad guys, the, the ensemble includes Tyrese Gibson, Nick Cassavetes, director Nick Cassavetes, who I think we might be mentioning Cassavetes later in this episode. I don't know. It's up to where Bruce is on his clock. We'll see what happens with that. Also starring in this is Luke Hemsworth and Thomas Jane. It's directed by John Stahlberg. Stahlberg's previous movies include Muzzle and Crypto. I love this movie. I really, it worked for me. One of the, one of the producers is two of the producers are Oliver Hudson and Wyatt Russell. It's an, I mean, you could say it's a look at undocumented immigration, but it's really not. It's just a great, interesting thriller, and it's mean. It's mean spirited. It's violent. There's a lot of there's some twists involved, and I just really enjoyed where this movie went, especially because the two leads did such a good job in the movie. And there's some really interesting, for a movie of this ilk, Stahlberg actually has some interesting cinematic style to this. There's a, a one-take 
situation with Diego Tonico and and not Nick Cassavetes and um, who else? Oh, yeah, Luke Hemsworth. Luke Hemsworth has a really great one-take scene in the middle of a warehouse store at the beginning of the movie. The movie is really well shot, and it's not an obligatory straight-to-VOD type of experience. At 92 minutes, it's a tight, tightly wound thriller. Thomas Jane's in it. Again, he's good in his small role. And all of the ensemble cast are really good. It's not one of these things where you get these stars like Tyrese Gibson and they're in it for a couple of seconds and they're forgettable. This one is they're in it for more than a couple of seconds and they're really good. So out of all the movies this week, Hombres was a movie that absolutely surprised me. I went, and let me see. It's I think it won the. It says Grand Jury Award at the Mammoth Film Festival, and it also received an achievement in screenwriting. So the writing's good, and this is available on DVD March twelfth. I'm got. I'm going to bother the people because I really want this on DVD. Eric, I know you watched a lot of movies over the last week. This is the one movie that probably should have seen. Bad Hombres, excellent, excellent movie. I'm giving it four stars, and yeah, I was. One of the big surprises of the year. I remember last year we had the big surprise of Candyland. My surprise this year was Bad Hombres, a well-constructed, well-done thriller. Check it out in theaters and on demand Friday. Next up is Miller's Girl from Eric Holmes. Quickly, what is that about? And it's exclusively in theaters. Eric, would you recommend it? Uh, yes. Uh, but first, um, did I get your star rating on the seating? I must have missed that. Four stars. Oh, no, oh, no. Wait. Oh, the seating. Yeah, yes. my my yeah my my rating on the seating is four. Um, wait, what was my rating on the seating? Three and a half. It's all three and a half. Okay. I, yeah, I got two and a half from Bruce. Uh, two and a half star Bruce. Four and a four star Greg. Oh no no, no. I I gave it three and a half for that one. Yeah, so yeah. that's good. And for Goof. Bad Hombre, like you said, four stars. Miller's Girl. Yeah. Jenna so, Ortega is in it. So what's it about? Yeah, it's uh, written and directed by Jane Bartlett. Uh, this is her feature film debut uh, as a director. Uh, she worked on, uh, she did some writing on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Really, she's doing some, did some writing on the upcoming Roadhouse movie. And Miller's Girl is nothing like, well, I don't know what Roadhouse is going to, I suspect this is nothing like uh, Roadhouse. Um, this is more like, uh, if you've seen David Mamet's Oleana it's kind of similar to that. You have uh, Martin Freeman, who's a teacher. Jenna Ortega is the uh, the student, and the two. Uh, so Martin Freeman sees her as like a um, you know has certain talents for writing, and he wants to uh, give her an extra assignment for um, you know uh, to write something, find a writer that she likes, and then kind of. Uh, write something that's based off their kind of style, I guess. And she does, and it's very uh, erotic. Um, and the two have kind of been flirting with each other. So this is basically one of those uh, teacher banging the student sort of movies. Um, with this, so with Oleana, it's kind of unclear whether William H. Macy's character actually did the thing or not until you get to the end and you know you find out what you find out with this it's pretty explicit early on that martin freeman's character uh is definitely taking advantage of the situation and then it kind of becomes the uh oh you can't you can't tell so and so because what about my job what about my kids like well you should have thought about that before you start banging your students but you know uh these kind of uh predators don't learn those uh 
lessons the way they should. And um, I'm always happy to see him squirm uh, on the uh, hook there. Uh, Miller's girl. Very good. I, the, the thing I like about this, I think that it's um, Jenna Ortega's character is kind of being uh, what, what's the word? Um, kind of uh, abused, abused, manipulated. She's that, but she's also, um, it's kind of like when when a woman gets raped and then the the argument is well look how she was dressed she deserved it right. this kind of has that she's she's being provocative towards martin freeman's character but she's still the student i could see some people watching this going yeah martin freeman's completely in the wrong here you're the teacher she's a student don't do that period end of story i could see a certain group of people watching this going well she was provoking him and you know did he really do anything wrong she was kind of asking for it and then those people you don't engage with <laughs> so this this movie works really good as a uh, way to kind of you know pull out a, a rape apologist out of the woodwork i think um and yeah it, it's just good uh it's a story you've seen a couple times before. Oleana, I think Crush with uh, Alicia Silverstone is another one. Like you've seen um, uh, Hard Candy. Uh, Hard Candy would be another kind of a good comp with this. Uh, you've seen it before. This is just a really good version of that kind of movie. So check it out. It's in theaters uh, this Friday. Also in theaters this Friday. What's your, okay, what's your rating on it? Oh, four stars. Um, in fact, both of these will be four stars because I'm I'm four star Eric today. I'm fine with okay. that. Cool. But uh, the peasants is uh, from writer and director D.K. Welchman and Hugh Welchman. You probably probably seen or heard of a movie called Loving Vincent about Vincent Van Gogh. It's uh, animated like rotoscope, but rotoscoped with like oil paintings. Uh, peasants, the peasants, they use the same kind of technology with that. Um, Weird to say technology, more like a, a craft, I guess, would probably be a, a better term. Um, this is based on a book called The Peasants by uh, Laudsall Raymond, I believe. Um, probably tortured that name. But it's it's basically uh, just this small town. Uh, uh, this woman is married to this guy as part of a dowry, so they, you know, so they can, like, share land or whatever. This is back in those kind of days. And uh, she has an affair with his son. And then so you have like this whole, uh, you know, family drama based on cheating and whatnot. But, uh, you know, she was kind of betrothed to him and she didn't want to be to begin with. So uh, it's got that kind of story. I think the um, and then where it ends up, uh, probably shouldn't say. In fact, I won't say it. Uh, where this ends up is pretty hard to watch and not like this bad, but like in the fact that it's so good that there's stuff that happens at the end where it's like, Oh Jesus, oh, that's unpleasant. Um, I think the only thing keeping this from five stars for me, and it's a great problem to have is that the, uh, the animation uh, what they do with the oil paintings is so impressive that it actually becomes distracting because there's a lot of in and outs in the story. And I spend a lot of time just like watching the, watching the scenes play out and like watching the, the, the paintings that, you know, the way they animated it. I was just so floored by that. That a lot, I, as the movie's going on, I think I missed a lot of key points because I was so uh, 
enamored with uh, the craft that went along with making this because uh, the the paintings are stunning. And yeah, uh, I, and so and also with like uh, loving Vincent, it was kind of the same way with that. But loving Vincent, like I don't care about Vincent Van Gogh that much. I'm a little more, a uh, little more into the story on this one. But again, it's it's the animation so stunning that it's kind of hard to pay attention sometimes. But uh, I mean, it's a good movie. I'll watch it again and pick it apart later on. Cool. Um, so that is the and, and it's in uh, limited uh, release theaters. This is definitely absolutely a thousand percent one that if you're at all interested in the peasants, go watch it in the theater. I saw it on a screener. I felt like um, I I don't think they shot this in IMAX or I, I don't know how that would work. But like I could see like the biggest screen you can get on this. Um, it would just be even more mind blowing than it was when I saw it. OK, that's four stars from Eric Holmes. Limited release January 26th in New York, and then the following weekend, following week, February 2nd, over in Los Angeles. That is the Peasants Rotoscope, yes. And I did an uh, interview with the uh, one of the directors, and apparently they got the uh, stills, the, the actual oil paintings that they used to make this. They're selling those. So mm. like each each frame, I, I think they, they shot it on, they call it shooting on two, so it's not 24 frames a second, it's uh, 12 frames a second. So for each second, they got like 12 oil paintings and you can go on a website and buy one if you like it my gosh those must be expensive i'm sure they're beautiful though so oh yeah it yeah. would be interesting to see what they're priced i might even try to look for those so that is again that's the peasants 26 january 26 in new york and la february 2nd let's go to bruce it's bruce time let's go to recommends Yes, uh, because I watched movies that I thought were kind of not weren't hitting me this week. I had to counteract it with some movies that were <laughs> supposedly at least greater. Uh, and I started with uh, Criterion Challenge, which I'm still trying to do that. I may not get all of them done this year, but I'm trying to do that. Um, and I did uh, Mikey and Nikki, which I believe I had s mentioned on our last episode altogether. And Mikey and Nikki is directed by Ellen May or Elaine May. Sorry, Elaine May. Uh, who did uh, most famously what? Uh, a new, the <laughs> Ish, Ishtar. Ishtar. Yeah, Ishtar, but Ishtar was kind of yeah. infamously, I guess, would be Ishtar. Yeah. But this one had come across several podcasts recently uh, as kind of one that's kind of been under the radar, but I think it's kind of been rediscovered a little bit recently. I think it got a Criterion release, obviously, because it's in the Criterion Challenge. So in the last few years, a lot of people caught up with this movie uh, from 1976. Um, and starring Peter Falk and John Cassavetes. And I can never remember who is which, but if I can remember Nick Cassavetes, I can remember Nick, Nicky is John Cassavetes. So it starts out and basically this is the setup. And I don't know, did you watch this, Eric? I thought you might've. Um, yeah, I think Eric watched this too. Uh, oh, uh, no, the, the oh, you watched Mikey the box Nicky? movie. You watched the box yeah. movie. You didn't watch Mikey and Nicky. So no, the basic concept of this movie is, um, Nikki is, and I know Greg has seen this in the past. Um, Nikki is in, is holed up in like a apartment or a hotel room, I think it is. And, uh, he basically is freaking out. He's paranoid as hell. He's, he's got all the windows closed and you know, when shades pulled down and Mikey, Peter Fox character shows up at the door, knocking on the door. He called me, you called me, let me in. And it must be at least five minutes or so before Nikki will even let him into the room. Because what's happened is Nikki was involved in, uh, he was a, he's like a low level mobster. And so was Mikey. 
uh, and Nikki somehow got involved in some little low-level scheme that caused some money to be stolen from his boss. So he and another guy were involved. The other guy's already dead. And basically, Nikki knows there's a hit on him. There's a hit out on him. And he is he's marked to be whacked at any moment. Um, and Mikey's there to try to help him and convince him to get out of town and try to get him to do that. And this movie is basically a night, one night. It's Mikey and Nikki that night. Um, Mikey's just trying to get Nikki to get enough composure to get himself out of town and to get himself hopefully out of harm's way. This is like a character study times two, <laughs> really. Uh, and if you like that kind of thing, that one night characters like going through it, these are like, these have been like what childhood friends that have grown up together in the neighborhood and are still kind of friends, but not super close. And as this goes on, you kind of discover the nature of their relationship, the nature of their friendship, how it's evolved. And there's just great scene after great scene. For example, like the first scene when Mikey finally convinces him to come out of the apartment to go on the run and get out of there. The first thing Nikki says is, okay, let's change coats. And he's like, what do you mean? Well, if we change coats and someone's trying to kill me, they're going to see you instead. And they're going to try to kill you. And that'll prove to me that you're not, you're not in on this and that you're my, you're my real friend. So basically the, the proof of friendship right out of the gate is that you're going to put yourself up as a target instead of me. And that'll show me that you aren't like you are to be trusted, you know? And that's kind of where this rolls. There's a reveal about a third of the way into this movie, which is fantastic. I'm not going to say it because I think it's great to discover on your own. Um, and I would say there's a while in this movie where I was kind of like, where is this going? Like it, it's, it's interesting enough and it's fun to watch these characters interact, but what is the actual character development? But by the time it got to the end, it literally was just like, amazing it was amazing where it went and uh it it i'm not even going to say what kind of response i had to the end of it because i don't want to even give that much away i'll also mention uh ned Beatty's in this uh you know in the height of his powers you know in these this mid early 70s period he's amazing as a, a somewhat minor role uh there is also a very bit part by m emmett walsh a younger younger m emmett walsh as a bus driver it's great and um, the only warning I would give is there is a prolonged sequence where they are highly sexist and it could be really triggering to some, but it's there for a reason and it's there for a reason with these characters and it's there to show you a nature of these characters, which I think is really important. And it's really interesting that it's directed by a woman and how she is showing something that you really didn't see in that era much at all this is a pretty fantastic movie i was looking at the criterion channel the other night and the safety brothers obviously the filmmakers behind good time and what was the one uncut gems they were obviously mentioning mikey and nikki as a huge influence for them and you can see how new york cinema street cinema was influenced by mikey and nikki and it's interesting yeah. because it's from Elaine May, from mm -hmm. May Nichols, and known for her wit and her dry wit. And like you said, Ishtar, Mikey and Nikki, though, it would have been interesting to see what more of these type of films, if she had the time, Elaine May would have done. Because she was, I think, in conflict with Paramount. And I, the, I, the story goes, 
that she actually took the reel, the negative from Paramount and would hide it all around town so they wouldn't get their hands on Mikey and Nikki because she wanted to edit it in her own way. The For me, the, the subtraction for Mikey and Nikki is not on the movie itself. It's on the character of Nikki. So mm. first time I saw it, it's one of those movies when you watch it and if you are ir irritated by the John Cassavetes character, Nikki, you're going to feel like Mikey throughout most of this narrative where you're just exasperated because Nikki as a human being is absolutely exasperating. There is a scene yep. regarding a watch where I yes. wanted to actually strangle Nikki because he is extremely thoughtless at times. And there are things that happen in this movie. I'm not gonna, going to say because that'll make me sound like a total a-hole. There are things that happen in this movie that I was absolutely fine with. And I think Bruce is going to look at me sideways, but yeah, I was fine with something, a couple things that happened in this well, movie. You, you put it this way. You understand how this guy is getting himself with a contract on his head. You understand how he probably rubbed everyone the wrong way, or how at least he doesn't, he doesn't make wise decisions horrible. for his own self-interest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's a great look. My frustration with that character is a credit to the actual writing and the yeah. great performance by C Cassavetes. So if you can take your, your own prejudice outside of the way, and Bruce was talking about that section, which is very not good in today's standards, of course, or any standards, you, you're actually seeing a, a real two real lives unfold before you. And the fact that Cassavetes and Falk were the best of friends, their chemistry really shines forth in the movie. And it shines in the movie amidst a sea, a, a pretty ocean of just black and colorless hues because it's most, a lot of it is set in the night, at the night or yeah. in the diner and whatnot. So it's a very gritty, grimy, wonderful film. So, Oh, and it's very much a New York movie of that kind of uh, taxi driver era too. Like this is, I think, all on location. I don't think there's any sets or maybe a couple interiors possibly, but it's pretty much all on on location. And a lot yeah. of it's at night in New York on buses, like in graveyards, walking down the streets. It's 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 fantastic. Yeah, uh, this is a it's a great movie. I forgot what I gave it when I did it with Anderson. This movie reviewed it with Anderson. I think I gave it maybe four, four and a half. I don't know if Anderson loved it as much. I think maybe they... He talked about it with, like you said, with Brian over at the film vault, but just, I need to rewatch it, but I think I probably gave it a four. It's a four star film for me. Maybe even more if I down the line, if I rewatch it four with room to grow, what about you, Bruce? I think I'm four and a half, possibly with room to grow as well. I think that the, the last 15 or 20 minutes of this movie, the finale of get definitely is a, is a knockout, but there is stuff that goes on with the character of Peter Fox character, which is so key to understanding the whole entire rest of the movie in the last part of this movie that I thought was just, just fantastic, like character storytelling. So good. Okay. So for your box movie, Bruce, you have a film. Uh, I was lo looking at IMDb that took 40 years to make. <laughs> kind of. Uh, this is New York Ninja. Now this is the one that Eric watched, I believe. Uh, yes. looking to see. Yes, yes, he did. Good. Um, this is sort of directed by John Liu, Liu, who is the title character. Also, he's he's the New York Ninja. He plays him, and he also directed this movie, kind of. The reason I say kind of is um, apparently the story goes, and I've listened to a couple things and watched a couple of things. The story goes that this was shot. Um, it was never really released. It was 
lost somewhere. Someone found all the reels. They found like all like eight hours of reels, like not just the amount that was used in this movie. They found all of the unedited, um, you know, mastered footage, but no audio. So there's no audio for this movie. So this is a weird hybrid movie where the people who found it, Vinegar Syndrome and some of the people over at Vinegar Syndrome basically found this. It was re-edited or edited, I guess I should say in the first place, edited, but trying to make it as true to the story as they could figure out with what they had. Yeah, <laughs> I know what Eric is, is giving a look like, yeah, maybe, but there's stuff in here that's just on film that's ludicrous. So it had to be, <laughs> you know, you know, the movie was ludicrous when it was made. And in a lot of cases, you could tell that they're actually trying to use the words that the people in the movie are actually saying, because you can match up the lips. Other times you can tell they're ad-libbing it and making up to make the story kind of make sense. So this is somewhere between like a movie like The Room, like a So Bad It's Good, Troll 2, something like that. And it's somewhere between that and like um, Mystery Science Theater 3000, where you're the people who are kind of liking those kind of movies are adding their own flair to the movie itself. And that's kind of what you get here. Um, and they put a, they have a ton of um, cult um, B-movie favorites voicing this. Um, most notably to me as Linnea Quigley popped up as one of the voices in here, um, famously from, uh, for my for my situation, famously from um, Return to Living Dead, but she's been in a bunch of uh, horror movies. There's a bunch of other famous B-movie type actors in here playing the uh, voices. So this is this is a movie almost impossible to review other than to say it's it's ludicrous. It's insanely, quote, bad, but also really fun. The, the I guess the things that I really want to point out in this is that you've got this New York story where uh, this ninja guy's wife, is it his wife? I think it's his wife or fiance. It's his wife. Immediately gets murdered. And then he's on a, a ninja vengeance kind of a kick to get rid of these various gangs and also this human trafficking crew in New York. And the gangs look like they took the worst extras from the warriors that didn't make the cut. <laughs> and that's where they ended up in this movie. Um, and lots of, it, it's just, it's just silly. So if you like these kind of movies, I, to me, it's, it's, a three-star banger. And if you don't like these kind of movies, it's going to be uh, insufferable. I'd be curious to hear what Eric, where Eric falls down in this movie. Um, well, not high. Uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't trust the, the, the new filmmakers of this, I guess. Yeah. Um, granted watching this, I, I didn't get the sense that it was a masterpiece to begin with. I'd be very curious to see what John Liu thinks of this. Because I feel like now they said that they, you know, got the got the footage, there was no sound and they try to recreate it best they could of how they think it might have been. I don't believe that for a second. The voice actors are trying to be intentionally campy and bad. And I think that does a disservice to the original actors. Uh, so they have uh, the, the movie Kung Pao. The, the It came out in like the, the uh, 99, I think, 2001, yes. somewhere around there. Now, they took uh, bits of existing movies and repurposed it to make a comedy out of it. Um, for one, a lot of the comedy comes from the the writing um, and they use the, you know, they use the stuff. But also those movies exist. You can watch those movies or you can go back to it. Newark Ninja doesn't exist other than this form. 
you know, there's there may have been uh, some good performances in this. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But there could have been good performances in this ruined by uh, overdubs that were intentionally bad. Um, a lot of the a lot of the dialogue um, to kind of tell the story was either uh, off screen. So invented for for the movie. There was other dialogue where they uh, they're their lips aren't matching at all with what they're saying. And I saw a thing that said they wanted to recreate the, uh, you know, uh, certain movies where they talk and the, the dialogue doesn't line up. Well, the reason the dialogue doesn't line up is because they're, you know, uh, speaking Italian and they have an English voiceover or they're speaking Japanese and they got an English voiceover. That's why it doesn't line up. It's not because it's a B movie and it's funny. Like, I think just the concept of how this was put together, um, I don't think it was in earnest and I think it's, Hey, look at this bad movie that was never made. Let's make fun of it. It's just the whole concept of how this movie was put together just feels absolutely gross to me. Um, and look, if John Liu watches it or any of the uh, original actors watch it and they're like, hey, yeah, you know, it was silly, you know, had then fine, fair play, watch it, laugh at it. But just knowing absolutely nothing about it. Um, I don't, I don't trust, uh, Curtis Spieler, I believe who was the redirected by credit. Um, I don't trust him or any of the other filmmakers that, uh, kind of, you know, air quote brought this back from the dead. And I think most of it just feels kind of gross to me. Uh, half star. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think Greg, I don't think you're on. Here, but your microphone's not on. Oh, my bad. So, <laughs> yeah, the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray is, which obviously Eric Holmes will not purchase no. at all. It's scanned and restored in 4K from its original 35 millimeter negative. There's deleted scenes with commentary. There is commentary track with rewriter, redirector, editor Curtis M. Spieler, and a whole bunch of featurettes on the making of New York Ninja. I think this is the first time that Eric has given given a movie half a star. He is on the hashtag team John Liu. Second time. What was the what was the first time? Oh, uh, we don't need to talk about it. Okay. It was, it was a documentary. We don't have to talk about it. Oh, okay. I forgot the document. Okay. All right. We won't talk. Gingerlyn Allen is in this? Well, I'm, she's voice. an actress. <laughs> she's the voice. Oh, the voice. That's kind you of You should cool. know who that is, Craig. You should know I, who I, that I'm, is. I've and interviewed I, her. Neither should I. <laughs> I've interviewed Gingerlyn Allen at her house. Okay, you Cover have City. a reason then. That's the only reason why I know her. I've voice. interviewed her too. <laughs> <laughs> Cynthia Rothrock? Wow. So, Don the Dragon Wilson. So, anyways, Eric, I, you were very passionate about this movie. That's Half Star. And Bruce, is this a three star for you then? What yeah, I would say three star banger for me. I, 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 I totally get Eric's point, and I think that that is absolutely a possibility. And I might change my mind if I if I find out that that is where it's going. My impression was kind of that it wasn't that cynical of a production, but you know, it could be either way. I I feel like it doesn't. I don't think that they're hating the filmmakers that they're presenting this version of it from but but i can also see you know i can see i, point. I, I will <laughs> say the I, bit. <laughs> I will i will say that if uh, i turns out that like the original filmmakers are fine with this then i'm fully on board with bruce's three-star banger i'm just i'm, I'm just kind of <laughs> going on the information i have and sort of 
yeah, it, it, a lot of it feels like it's in bad faith. Might not be. I don't know. But just I, I just got a gross feeling. But if it turns out it's all fine, then yeah, Bruce nailed it with three star banger because that's exactly what a three star banger is. Well, I know yeah, Pete that's... sent me Pete sent me a, this um, in detail like thing about the making of it, which I have not watched or or read yet. So I need to check that out. Maybe that'll give me some better insight. Because I've read, I've done a little research, but I haven't done very deep research. So I'll, I maybe I'll get time and I'll look into that and, and report back. You know what this feels like? Um, the bit in the Flash where Christopher Reeve shows up and George Reeve, or actually even better, George Reeve shows up as uh, Superman. He famously uh, took his life, you know, presumably because of uh, what he felt about um his name being associated with a, a kid's thing. There, there's, you know, that whole thing. And the fact that they just put him in a movie as Superman, it's like, I don't think, I, I, I don't think the, the, the original person that you're using, you're doing the exact opposite of kind of what they were going for. It, it feels like it could be something like that. And if that's the case, then not, not too, not too keen on not it, but, <laughs> but then again, maybe he watched, maybe the original filmmakers watched New York Ninja, the way they cut it together. And was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is fun. I dig mm. it. And no problems for me. All right. Before we leave Bruce, do you want to do a box pick for the next two weeks? Do you want to take something from the box right now? And we were not, we're not going to do it next week because um, yeah, we have the top five. We have the top five and we'll, I'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. While I'm getting that, I will just announce I'm also continuing on the Criterion Challenge thing. Um, I've already watched my Technicolor pick, which is The Red Shoes. Mm, yeah. And my next one after that is going to be the Anthony Bourdain's Top Ten. And from there, I picked uh, The Battle of Algiers. Oh, that's a great movie. Love that movie. Which uh, I have prefer- not seen. So I'm only picking movies I haven't seen. Mm. Okay, so what is um, in the box? Uh, this was suggested by director Ravi Banfitch, which did the um, Outwaters. The, uh, mm-hmm. Outwaters, thank you. My brain couldn't make a name. Uh, it's a movie called Bad Blood, a Portuguese movie called Bad Blood. Mm, nice. All right, Bad Blood. So, interesting, Bruce. You might cover it in a couple of weeks because next week we're doing our Patreon. We also we're going to do next week a shortened episode. We're going to review one movie called, I believe, The Promised Land. And Eric, you still have those top five that we had for our consensus cinematics top five movies. Yep. Okay, so we're, and we're going to briefly mention and talk about our top five cinematics films for the year of 2023. These top five may not be on our individual top fives, but they are top fives that we feel are underrated. They are cinematic gems, and they should be included in your watch library as well. And it serves as a great counterpoint to all of those celebrated Oscar Critics' Choice and Golden Globe nominees. Yeah, yeah. They're the uh, collective top five, the, uh, the top five that the three of us can agree on. Yes, which, yes, yes, yes. Which I thought was would be a fun sort of thing to do. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That was a great idea from Eric Holmes. Final thought, final thoughts, Eric? Um, Yeah. Uh, findyourfilmpodcast.com. Go get yourself a shower curtain or mm-hmm. a paddleboard or pickle pedal pickleball pedal thing yeah, yeah whatever you yeah. want <laughs> find your film podcast.com bruce Berkey and you oh i don't got anything else to say i've said enough i've just been two and a halfing all over the place so hopefully <laughs> don't listen to me have some fun watch some movies that they liked and i probably am just being an old old poop <laughs> on that old poop remark <laughs> that's amazing we'll see you here next week on cinematics and of course here's that Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for joining Cinematic.